We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address at D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Our first hour tonight, devoted to one and only topic. It is the big moment, the moment of truth already early on in the Trump presidency, whom he will pick to replace Antonin Scalia. Thank you very much. When Justice Scalia passed away suddenly last February, I made a promise to the American people. If I were elected president, I would find the very best judge in the country for the Supreme Court. I promise to select someone who respects our laws and is representative of our Constitution and who loves our Constitution and someone who will interpret them as written. This may be the most transparent judicial selection process in history. Months ago, as a candidate, I publicly presented a list of brilliant and accomplished people to the American electorate and pledged to make my choice from among that list. 
Millions of voters said this was the single most important issue to them when they voted for me mm. for president. Good of him to acknowledge I that. am a man of my word. <laughs> I will do as I say. Something that the American people have been asking for from Washington for a very, very long time. Today... Interesting, the measured tone from Trump. No cowbell in this announcement. Good. But measured, but the same populist ethos of Today his I'm inaugural speech. It's about you, the people. The American people. By nominating Judge Neil Gorsuch of the United States Supreme Court to be of the United States Supreme Court. And I would like to ask Judge Gorsuch and his wonderful wife, Louise, to please step forward Please, Louise, Judge. Here they come. Here they come. It is Neil Gorsuch. Clerks for both Anthony Kennedy and Byron Wizer White. Former Heisman Trophy winner. Former Supreme Court Justice from Colorado, where Gorsuch is so from. So was that a surprise? I have always felt that after the defense of our nation... The most important decision a president of the United States can make is the appointment of a Supreme Court justice. Depending on their age, a justice can be active for 50 years, and his or her decisions can last a century or more Hmm. and can often be permanent. I took the task of this nomination very seriously. I have selected an individual whose qualities define Really, and I mean closely defined, what we're looking for. Judge Gorsuch has outstanding legal skills, a brilliant mind, tremendous discipline, and has earned bipartisan support. When he was nominated to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, he was confirmed by the Senate unanimously. Also, that's unanimous. Can you believe that nowadays with what's going on? Not going to be so easy this time. It won't be unanimous this time. Does that happen anymore? <laughs> Does it scarlet happen? letters. It'll be slightly happen. less than unanimous Some this borking. time. So with us tonight is Maureen Scalia, a woman loved by her husband and deeply respected by all. Nice touch I here. I'm so happy she is with us. Where is one? Please stand up. Thank you, man. Look at Donald Trump pulling off a little conservative political theater. Judge Gorsuch was born and raised in Colorado and was taught the value of independence, hard work, and public service. While in law school, he demonstrated a commitment to helping the less fortunate. He worked in both Harvard Prison Legal Assistance Projects and Harvard Defenders Program. But what he wanted to do with his career was to be a judge to write decisions, and to make an impact by upholding our laws and our Constitution. The qualifications of Judge Gorsuch are beyond dispute. He is the man of our country and a man who our country really needs and needs badly to ensure the rule of law and the rule of justice. I would like to thank Senate leadership. I only hope that both Democrats and Republicans can come together for once, for the good of the country. May God bless our glorious nation. Judge Gorsuch, the podium, sir, is yours. 
That was a very that was a, uh, a powerful disclaimer introduction uh, by President Trump for Neil Gorsuch. Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, you and your team have shown me great courtesy in this process, and you've entrusted me with a most solemn assignment. For the last decade, I've worked as a federal judge in a court that spans six western states. The men and women I've worked with at every level in our circuit are an inspiration to me, following the law as they find it and without respect to their personal political beliefs. Hmm. I think of them tonight. Of course, the Supreme Court's work is vital not just to a region of the country, but to the whole, vital to the protection of the people's liberties under law and to the continuity of our Constitution, the greatest charter of human liberty the world has ever known. The towering judges that have served in this particular seat are much in my mind at this moment. Justice Scalia was a lion of the law. Hmm. Agree or disagree with him, all of his colleagues on the bench cherish his wisdom and his humor. And like them, I miss him. I began my legal career working for Byron White, the last Coloradan to serve on the Supreme Court and the only justice to lead the NFL in rushing. (laughs) He was one of the smartest and most courageous men I've ever known. When Justice White retired, he gave me the chance to work for Justice Kennedy as well. Justice Kennedy was incredibly welcoming and gracious. And like Justice White, he taught me so much. I am forever grateful. Now, we should note both of those guys, White and Kennedy, neither one of them, it should be noted, are considered by most observers and scholars to be conservatives, at least not in the mold of a Scalia. I respect, too, the fact that in our legal order, it is for Congress and not the courts to write new laws. It is the role of judges to apply, not alter, the work of the people's representatives. A judge who likes every outcome he reaches is very likely a bad judge. Mm. There it is. That's the best thing anybody has said tonight. And there's been some good things said tonight. That's the best one. I am so thankful tonight for my family, my friends, and my faith. These are the things that keep me grounded at life's peaks and that sustain me in its valleys. Mr. President, I am honored and I am humbled. Thank you very much. So there's the announcement. Neil Gorsuch from the Tenth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals has been named by President Trump as his nominee to replace the late, great Antonin Scalia. Now, I have to say, uh, in terms of the theater aspect, the, the presentation aspect of politics, I don't know what you thought, Todd, but, but I thought this was a grand slam home run. I mean, I thought they nailed it. I thought Trump's measured tone and understand a measured tone for Trump. And I, as someone who can be a hyperventilating communicator myself, I'm sympathetic to this. So when, if, if you can be a hyperventilating communicator, your measured tone is pretty much everybody else's normal speed, right? So I thought for Trump to go with a normal tone, there's no cowbell, there's no slip ups, there's no undermining your own message, but that they could perform the pomp and circumstance of the bully pulpit of the presidency. And I think what we heard here the last 15 minutes clearly demonstrated that. And thirdly, that tone you're talking about 
about you needed to establish immediately that in contrast of what perhaps is uh, coming as we speak and most certainly is going to come tomorrow. The mm-hmm. screeching howls of those who say that that man that you just saw and talking about God and his place in the highs and lows is the end of us all. Yes. Is they going to put coming. women in chains? No, no, matter, no matter whom Donald Trump nominated tonight, think progress would be out tomorrow saying they're going to have tranny internment camps. And it's just that's just the nature of the beast. So please, please, fellow conservatives, do not measure your enthusiasm for this move by outrage from the left. Uh, they are that's part and parcel. That's the cost of doing business. It's a state of being for that particular movement. I had a friend of mine in our movement send an email to me over the weekend, and he said to me, "Well, regardless of who Trump takes or picks, I know it'll be better than Obama would have given us." And I said, respectfully, my friend, that is not what we were promised. What we were promised is what Mr. Trump said here tonight. And and as conservatives, we got to start aiming higher than the binary choice of just give us better than Marxists to hate America would give us. Preach. All right, that's not conservatism. All right, so, I mean, we don't want better, guys. We want good. We're going to have plenty more analysis, including Kelly Shackelford from First Liberty Institute, when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. to define the modern-day New Age America. We're all kind of crazy town banana pants. It's Steve Dace. All right, let's get some more learned analysis of tonight's selection of Neil Gorsuch to the U.S. Supreme Court. And will Trump keep this promise that he made in front of about 100 million people during one of the presidential debates last fall? Do you want the court, including the justices that you will name, to overturn Roe v. Wade, which includes, in fact states, a woman's right to abortion? Well, if that would happen, because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges, I would think that that will go back to the individual states. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. Did we pass test one? Somebody whose opinion I have a very high regard for. Buddy of our show, Kelly Shackelford, runs First Liberty Institute. He's one of the best attorneys we've got for my money on our side, and he joins us now. My friend, how are you? Great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you, brother. So you heard what Mr. Trump, now President Trump, promised last fall. Did he meet, in your view, based on what you know of Neil Gorsuch, is that promise kept here tonight? I don't think anybody knows for sure because he's never had that, you know, that that kind of an issue or case come before him. But uh, I think if you had to make an intelligent guess, uh, the odds would be pretty greatly in favor that he did. Um, why would I say that? Um, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but this is stuff I know you'll understand, Steve. And, and that is, this guy went specifically to Oxford to get a PhD under the leading mind in the world on natural law. Hmm. And he wrote a book on euthanasia, and he has deep philosophical underpinnings about natural law, which is a huge issue for the understanding of the right to life uh, and, and a lot of the principles that you and I believe in. So because of that, most people think he's so... Uh, and Trent, and by the way, this guy he went to study under is the same guy that Robbie George went to study under. Uh, so that gives you a little bit of a hint. And a guy that 
that edited his book on euthanasia was Robbie George. And again, for those of you who don't know, Robbie George is probably the one of, if not the top uh, Christian legal minds in the country on these sort of issues like life and marriage and the law and how it all works together. So he's certainly got a lot of things that would make you think that uh, he's not going to, to legislate from the bench, and he's certainly not going to create some life, some right to violate natural law uh, as a judge. That would go against kind of everything he's for or, or, or what he stands for or what he believes. Just to clarify two things for our audience, uh, you just said, Kelly, when Kelly says natural law, what he means is the laws of nature and nature's God, that some things are predetermined in nature by our creator. That is the source of law. And when you mentioned Robbie George from Princeton University, as you know, I'm a strong advocate of the so-called personhood strategy. Well, a lot of the mastermind of that, by the way, the, the personhood strategy, which is de- declaring an unborn child a person under the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments to the U.S. Constitution, which say no person shall be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law. One of the masterminds of that strategy is none other than Robbie George. So that's that's the individual you're talking about that that vouches for Neil Gorsuch. That's a pretty good character witness, Kelly. It is. It is, and that that's why you you. You know, you've got things that people make people nervous. I mean, you know, he's obviously very, very bright from all the elite, uh, uh, you know, universities and societies. I mean, he got a Ph.D. from Oxford, et cetera. I mean, if you're a red meat conservative like you or me, Steve, we immediately are very suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And And I want our audience, and I'm glad you said that. We've been burned on almost everything as conservatives the last few decades, Kelly, but probably nowhere more so than judicial nominees. So if that's why I advocated for a name like Cruz or Lee, because we we know everything Mm -hmm. about them. If you get a real judge, then you don't know everything. And so no matter who we came out here with tonight, I was going to be a tad nervous just because we have been burned so many times. And I want our audience to factor that in to how they are receiving my reaction to this. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we just don't know. I mean, you know, he doesn't have a decision on something. Let me tell you what we do know. He's got some incredibly strong, excellent decisions on religious freedom. Um, I mean, and people know these cases. He wrote a great decision uh, on, or he was a part of the great decision on Hobby Lobby. He was a, a gr- great decision on Little Sisters of the Poor. Uh, a great decision. And by the way, in all these, it was a huge fight going on in his circuit, and he picked the right side and and the strong side for religious freedom, each side. A great decision defending uh, cross-shaped memorials for, for fallen state troopers when the American atheists filed a lawsuit and actually won to get those torn down because that violates the Establishment Clause. He was on the other side of that. So he's been really, really strong on religious freedom. It's just some of these other issues. I mean, he hasn't obviously had a a case on abortion, uh, like a Roe v. Wade or whatever. And so that's all remains to be seen when that comes up in the future. So you know it's going to come up. I mean, this is the number one civil sacrament of the of the Marxist left, is the unfettered killing mass slaughter of children. You know that it's going to come up. We heard John Roberts say he thought Roe v. Wade was the law of the land, and at the time a bunch of us thought, well, he just needs to say that to get confirmed. He'll do the right thing when he gets in there. And then he salvaged Obamacare by rewriting the law from the bench not once but twice. So what do you expect happens when we get into that confirmation process and the left's propaganda and talking points for killing kids begins? I think uh, most likely 
I mean, again, Gorsuch is from the more elite circles. He's considered a very eloquent writer and, and I think will be a person, therefore, who will sort of do a little bit. Of, John, John Roberts is a little more political, but I, I think Gorsuch will be likely to be smart enough to maneuver his way through without creating somewhat of a direct fight like uh, Pryor did. I mean, I don't expect Gorsuch to, to end the hearing unlike prior to, to, to say Roe v. Wade is an abomination of American law. I mean, I, I think he will more be more subtle in what he says. He will avoid the issue somewhat uh, and try to get through, which is what most of the judges uh, have done in the past. That would be, I would be shocked. He, he just doesn't seem like an in-your-face. That's not his style. And so I would expect him to be more subtle and uh, more, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but, uh, uh, you know, more suave or whatever and how he handles the questions to just get through the hearings and get, get approved and get on the court. Kelly, I've got about a minute here. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being maybe I should have been never Trump after all, 10 being Donald Trump tiptoes between the raindrops and he found Antonin Scalia's love child, where would you <laughs> rank this appointment? Gosh, that's so hard. You know, I think it could be a 10. But it, you know, we just don't know for sure. I mean, it could, we could be, you know, revisiting this and be disappointed because we just, we just don't know. There are some others that I feel like that are out there in the country that I, I know for a solid fact they would never move. But we just, you know, every, you know, we know what we know here. There's some good things we know, but you know, we're not going to know until this stuff happens. And in fact, until another justice is replaced, which I think will happen within a year or so, mm. then we're going to be put to this test. Yeah, I agree. And we're either going to overturn Roe v. Wade or these guys are going to flinch, and we'll have to wait and see then. Kelly Shackelford, First Liberty Institute. Check him out online, firstliberty.org. Good to talk to you, my friend. We'll do it again. God bless. You too. I will right, we'll have some reaction to what you just heard from Kelly here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. He's trying to keep us all together because, well, the liberals do it. See what you call insanity? We call solidarity. This is Steve Dace. Quick question I got on Facebook I want to answer. Uh, listener Rob Drury asked a great question. says, I think you guys give us conflicting messages on judges sometimes. On one hand, you guys say you want an impartial referee of the law, but on the other hand, you want to know where someone's beliefs on certain issues take place. Is, are those contradictions? That's a great question. Let me answer it real quick. We want an impartial referee of the law. What we want to know, though, is what is the rule book he is refereeing from. That's what we want to know. Right? So when you hear Kelly Shackelford say Neil Gorsuch went to Oxford to study under, under one of the West's leading thinkers of what's called natural law, natural law is the idea that the basis for the law is the laws of nature and nature's God, the mission statement of the United States. That the law has a source. It doesn't spontaneously, spontaneously combust. It doesn't evolve. That, that Well, some law has to evolve, right? Like property law from the 18th century or the 19th century. Nowadays, with strip malls and everything else, there are some absolutes like private property rights. But zoning regulations and the like wouldn't be the same as they were in an agrarian society 200 years ago. So maybe a better way of saying is the law does need to be updated. But the root of the law does not evolve. 
any more than the Constitution does. Sometimes it may need to be amended to be updated for a contemporary society. But the root of the Constitution is it's a dead document. It's not a living, breathing one. So when we say we want an impartial referee, that's what we want. We just want to know what the rule book is. Is the rule book the Constitution as it was written, rooted in natural law, or is the rule book the Constitution as what's called stare decisis, or the latest precedent, or the latest whims of a judge says it is so? Right? That's that's the question. The reason why we ask about a specific issue like pro-life is because thou shall not murder is rooted in the natural law. It is the primary right. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights, endowed by their creator. Among these are, with the very first one, it's listed what? Life. Life. All right, so that's what we mean, Rob. That's a great question. Thanks for letting us answer it. So when we're playing football, we have the right to believe we're playing by the rules of football, and suddenly and arbitrarily, we're not like playing by the rules of basketball or something else. That's exactly right. And the, the, like a ref can't decide, you know what, I know this has been the pre-existing definition that a field goal is three points. I know it was determined long before I came along, but you know what, guys weren't kicking. In Europe, Steve. Yeah, guys weren't kicking 55-yard field goals when, this, <laughs> when you made that rule 50 years ago. So I'm just going to decide right here in the middle of the game that if you're kicking them 55 yards, they ought to be five points, and 35 yards ought to be three. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and there's a reason why, Steve, why if there's one question, you could ask to anybody what is it it's uh, what they are what they uh, believe on the life issue and it's not because the life issue is the basis of our worldview or the basis of the constitution but depending on what your answer is to the life issue you can determine whether or not you believe in natural law or some other uh, farcical type of law as well so that's why i think what i've what i heard from kelly shackleford is that yes the the, the credit file if you will is thin on Gorsuch right now when it comes to the life issue, but but his philosophical underpinnings are in natural law, so we can trust him. That's what I heard from uh, Kelly Shackelford in the last segment. One point that Kelly said that I would just take some issue with, and I think he quickly chose the word, but he said he, he thought um, Gorsuch will be pretty suave out there. I just read something from Justice Don Willett, who we all uh, respect on Twitter, that he is a Jedi-level wordsmith. I said, I don't want suave. I want cold-blooded wrath in a measured tone, but cold-blooded wrath. I want to say, hey, there's Ron Wyden's spleen because of that stupid question he just answered. Ron Wyden was a U.S. senator yes. who voted to confirm yes. Gorsuch and, to and, the U.S. Court of Appeals. And is now saying silly things on Twitter right. about how you know this guy is going to tear down the Constitution. I want him to bring these fools down. Well, you heard Kelly say that if he had nominated somebody like Bill Pryor, who we had issues with because of his Judge Roy Moore... Um, behavior, you might have gotten that. I think if you had nominated somebody like Don Willett, you would have gotten that. You're not likely to get that here. Uh, now, I, but that doesn't mean, here's the thing, let's not set up a false equivalency on, on our side, though, either. Right? Just because you may not get, may, just because he may not go in there and lay down ordinance doesn't mean that he has to go in there, though, and go John Roberts and adopt hook, line, and sinker the, the talking points of the other side as well. And and I I, I want to see if he does have a little that Rico Suave. I want to see if he's able to navigate that terrain without giving away the store. Because I think that will tell you quite a bit about what he would ultimately do as a justice as well. Um, but, but if that's what you wanted, dis, be disappointed now. I don't think you're going to get that in this pick. But I will say this, something I never thought I'd ever see, is a Supreme Court justice nominee... That is glowingly praised by both Mike Lee, who I've spent the last two weeks advocating to put on the court, 
and Neil Katyal, who was President Obama's solicitor general after Kerrigan got put on the court. Shakespeare was right. Politics makes for some strange bedfellows. I'm fascinated by that. All right, we're going to get another view on Neil Gorsuch when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. Trying to trick the libs with the truth. Hey, I'm not falling for that. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. We are spending our opening hour reviewing the first major decision by President Trump. And I think uh, the one I've been saying all week, uh, or for the last few weeks, will be the barometer, I think, of his first term and go a long way to determining if he gets a second. Again, let's reset this. This is the promise he made in front of about 100 million people in one of the presidential debates. Do you want the court, including the justices that you will name, to overturn Roe v. Wade, which includes, in fact states, a woman's right to abortion. Well, if that would happen, because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges, I would think that that will go back to the individual states. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. Did he keep that promise tonight? Andy Schlafly is here with us from Eagle Forum. Andy, welcome back to the show, brother. You heard Donald Trump from one of the presidential debates reiterate this promise that he was adamant about in his first post-election interview on 60 Minutes. He repeated that. We're going to appoint pro-life justices. Did he do it tonight, in your view, in the appointment of Neil Gorsuch? Well, Steve, thanks for having me on your wonderful show. And that's the pledge Trump made front and center. That's why millions of voters voted for him. And wow, I'm just shocked by what he did tonight. I got to tell you, um, I'm just speechless. Your yeah. evidence. So obviously you're, you're, you don't believe he kept his promise. Give us your evidence why you don't think so, Andy. I mean, I knew Neil Gorsuch in law school. I knew him afterwards and I've reviewed his record. I cannot find anything in his writings, in his opinions, of which there are hundreds of opinions. He wrote a book about euthanasia. I can't find anything in his work to suggest that he's pro-life. What about the the notion that he's he went to Oxford to study under a, a leading um, uh, expositor of natural law, that he's got a strong character witness from the likes of uh, Robbie George, who's considered one of the leading... Um, conservative uh, minds from Princeton University. Do those things sway you at all? They do not. They do not. This was a lobbyist-driven decision. Uh, The Federal Society had far too much influence in this decision-making process. The Federal Society is not pro-life. It could be called the David Souter Society because the candidates they recommend are all like David Souter. They all avoid saying whether they're pro-life or not, but you listen to them long enough and you you dig deep enough, you can find the clues that almost none of the Federal Society recommended candidates are pro-life. And yet there they are. They put all the finalists up there. They drove this process. I've never seen lobbyists have so much influence over the selection of a Supreme Court nominee. 
I've never seen that before. It's unprecedented for lobbyists to have so much influence and control over this process to pick someone who's going to sit there for 30 to 40 years. You organized a consortium of a lot of different pro-life leaders and organizations around the country when this vetting process began several weeks ago in earnest. Have you communicated to them at all your thoughts here this evening? Do you have unified thought in that consortium along the lines of where you're at on this? And if so, do you guys plan on acting on that? What's the next step then in your well, view? Well, yeah, it just happened, Steve. And I can see where you are on it. And, boy, we're on the same page about so many things. Uh, going back to a year and a half ago when we sat in that hotel talking about this election process. And I'm hearing from some of our people, and they're, they're just dismayed. I mean, they're, they're asking, how do you hold the grassroots support when you pick someone like this who, who is Ivy League educated, backed by the big money, and has nothing pro-life in his record? How do you hold on to the grassroots support? Statement just released by Franklin Graham. Three cheers for President Trump. Once again, he has kept a campaign promise. How refreshing. He said he was going to appoint a conservative, and that's exactly what he's done in Judge Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court. From all that I've read and from his track record, Judge Gorsuch is an excellent choice whose decisions will be guided by the original intentions of the U.S. Constitution and who will not try to legislate from the bench. Now we need to pray that God will overrule the liberal socialists and progressives who will do everything in their power to block this nomination. Do you agree with that, or do you think Gorsuch's issues are more systemic than just the pro-life issue? Because he did say everything tonight you'd want a justice in his shoes to say, but the one thing that neither he nor the president addressed was the life issue. That's right, and that absence tells you tells you where this nominee is. Uh, it doesn't mean anything to say platitudes about originalism or original intent or strict constructionism. That doesn't mean anything anymore. What matters is whether you're pro-life. And if you're not pro-life, you are going to be bad on the other issues. You're going to tend to favor transgender rights, which Gorsuch does. In his record, he's in favor of special rights for transgenders. Uh, You're going to tend to be weak on other issues, too. So in Franklin Graham's statement, uh, I mean, it sounds nice, but notice Franklin Graham doesn't say that Neil Gorsuch is pro-life. And that's the bottom line. That's where the rubber meets the road, Steve. You know it. I know it. Your listeners know it. That's where the rubber meets the road. Is there anything that could be done during this confirmation process from Judge Gorsuch that would persuade you at all? I don't see it. I mean, he's got a record of several decades He's got his writings. Um, oh, and, you know, I just wish Trump had not relied on the lobbyists. I wish he had chosen someone who has a pro-life record, of which there were excellent candidates. I know, Steve, you recommended Mike Lee. Mm-hmm. Mike Lee would have been fantastic. Now, he's raving about Judge Gorsuch tonight. We should note that. He is well, saying, I've argued cases in his court. He's a fantastic judge. So, you know, when I, when the guy that I was advocating for gives an endorsement to this guy, I should note that, right? So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing so. Okay. Does that persuade you, Steve? Well, I'm, 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 I, as I said to our audience all along, I'm, that the reason I wanted Cruz or Lee is because we know where they're at. No matter who he would have thrown up there, even the guy you mentioned, Charles Kennedy, we have been burned on these appointments, Andy, more than any other issue in Considering how often we're burned by the Republican Party, that's saying something. So I have, I, I mean, I am calloused. It's like I'm missing nerve.
vendings. Like I could, I could put my hand on a stove for a half an hour and not even know it's charred because of how often we've been burned by this. All right, Andy, final word. I got 20 seconds on a scale of 1 to 10. One awful 10 Nirvana. Where do you rank this appointment? Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is a 5. Okay. And this is a Harriet Myers. Wow. And George W. Bush withdrew Harriet Myers. Andy, we got to go. We'll have you back again. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. We'll have some reaction. We just heard from Andy Schlafly in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Standing up for your rights and telling you the way it is. This man is an American hero. Steve Dace. All right, let's get some quick reaction to what we just heard now from Andy Schlafly, our second conservative attorney that's uh, joined us uh, in this hour, Kelly Shackelford from First Liberty Institute, and now Andy Schlafly from Eagle Forum. What did he say that stood out to you guys, Todd? Well, all the people who are supporting uh, the choice, and that's uh, most of the people I'm following on Twitter, agree with Andy in that his record on abortion is slim and none. So, so there is that. But because Trump has been so overt for so long about picking a pro-life justice, Andy is going to have a chance to have his mind changed because the questions are going to come and come hard about uh, pro-life. And I, because that's the whole premise of him being picked, he better be good. He better he he cannot just kind of dodge, uh, try to get through the wane drops and come out clean on the other side. He has to, quite frankly, have the best pro life answer from any politician and or judge in the history of this conversation. One thing I should have mentioned when we had Andy here, why this is such a litmus test to him, just uh, beyond the moral imperative, but on a professional level, is when he's not doing work for Eagle Forum, the organization his mother, Phyllis Schlafly, founded. Uh, he he is the attorney on record for this consortium of pro-life groups around the country. So he deals with this on that level all of the time. And, and really, when you listen to him, other than the tone, you heard more of an optimistic tone from Kelly Shackelford than you heard from from uh, from Andy Schlafly, I don't think they're that far apart. I mean, even Shackelford, even Kelly was like, I th- think it could be a 10, but we don't know. We've, he's never really ruled on these issues, as I referenced earlier, Aaron. National Review, hours ago before it was announced, wrote a multi-paragraph glowing review of, of Mr. Gorsuch, and buried in the middle of it, it notes... Not much is really known about his life views as it pertains to his judicial philosophy. Yeah, that's right. And what stood out to me, and i got to be brutally honest with myself, because the tone, which is a word we all hate, the tone of Schlafly in that last interview, I wasn't quite sure where his evidence was. Based on everything else that we've been hearing about Gorsuch and how he's great and how he will be great. But you know what? Uh, Schlafly, you know, that's okay. That's okay to be a skeptic till the very, very end. It's okay. Um, and, and as you said, all of these questions are going to be answered in the confirmation hearing. All of these um, will have ample evidence uh, once this thing or once this person, uh, Gorsuch, is confirmed. Uh, we will have ample evidence to make a determination on whether or not he's pro-life. But again, I, I liken this to somebody with a thin credit file. Not really quite sure, but we're going to take a chance and we'll see if it uh, see if it pays off for us uh, down the road. I think our audience also doesn't really understand how systemically bad 
the judicial branch really is. That there really isn't just a minor league of Scalia's out there to to just move into the majors when you're in charge. It, that's just not the case. And again, two of the best conservative attorneys we have in America are in the Senate. That's why I was advocating for one of them to be this nominee, because then we wouldn't have any questions at all. Hour two is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We welcome him back again this week. Matt Walsh is here with us from The Blaze. It's good to have you, brother. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So you were over at the March for Life over the weekend, and I want to I want to just get your initial report on what you saw while you were there on Friday. Well, it was incredible. It was just uh, you know I've been to to a few of them, and and it's certainly the biggest crowd I've ever seen. Period. It's the biggest crowd I've ever seen all in one place. Um, and it was such. A, although I wasn't at the women's march, I admit it. It seemed to be based on what I saw on on, on TV. It seemed to be such a enormous. Uh, change of pace, you know, such a huge contrast between the two, because not only did you have so many people at the March for Life, but it was, you know, people were happy, uh, cheerful, there were kids, there were families, you know, there was no vulgarity, there wasn't any angry screaming going on, and um, and the other thing that is not a surprise to those of us who have been to the March for Life, but is a surprise to people who haven't been and rely on media reports, what few there are, is that uh, it, it, it's, you know, a lot of young people, people under the age of 30, uh, predominantly young women, but a lot of young men, too. I mean, the March for Life, if there's, if there's half a million people at the March for Life, I would say easily 400,000 of them are, you know, under the age of 35. Hmm. So the pro-life movement is a, is a youth movement, and you really see that when you go to the March for Life. You were advocating the, for a couple of weeks leading up to the March for Life. Uh, for President Trump to tweet about it, because in your view, hey, this will guarantee we'll get the most media coverage for this we've ever received. Well, he didn't just tweet about it, but uh, he used an interview he did with ABC on on Friday morning to corner the media uh, and say, hey, you guys should be covering this. It's the largest annual march, and you guys ignore it. Uh, and, and, and so I'm wondering if you saw a bolstered media presence in reaction to uh, Trump using his platform to give the uh, to give the event some hype. I really didn't myself, and I was wondering about that as I was marching along. I, I did see more media than usual at the rally site before the march because Pence was, and that was the biggest thing that Trump did, was sending Pence to you know be the first vice president to address the march in person. And so I saw some cameras there, mostly C-SPAN cameras. I might have saw a few others. Uh, but from what I understand, CNN and Fox and I guess some of the other channels uh, ran at least part of that live. So that was cool. As far as the march itself, I didn't. I, I mean, it certainly wasn't anything like the women's march, where they were just crawling all over the place. The cameras, I didn't see much difference there. 
from what I've read, uh, the, the media covered this march like 37 times more than they covered last year's, which is great and I think has a lot to do with what Trump did, but it still is, they, they still didn't cover it much because it's 37 times, you know, almost zero. So, um, so they, I, I, from, from, from what I saw and everything I read afterwards, it, it still, they still didn't give it a ton of coverage, although they were forced to give it at least some and to acknowledge they were at least forced to acknowledge the fact that it was going on because Trump talked about it. And this shows you where Trump's powers of media domination can be used for good um, if he just calls things like, you know, call, calls to attention, things like this. You talked about the crowds that you see, the young people that are there. I believe this is the largest perennial march in our nation's history on the nation's capital. And and yeah. I, and I think that's and I and I say this is this to me pro life isn't an issue, Matt. It's a it's a window to the soul. It is a transcendent moral imperative. And so when I hear stats like it's the largest march, I I I feel bittersweet about that. In that, I'm glad to see so many people are standing up for what I think is the moral crisis of the age. But you know, you're you're a millennial. I'm in Generation X. I don't know what you think. I, I don't want to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the largest march ever. I mean, I, I mean, I, I want to win. I want to win. Was there was there a sense, it, it, particularly when we talk to the young people, was there a sense there that the time for this is this, the mar, the time for marching is great, but the time for winning has finally arrived to win this thing for once. Yeah, I think I think certainly if you say that to anyone in the mar- at the March for Life or in the pro life movement, they'll agree. As far as just having that real sense of urgency, you know, the time really is now kind of attitude, like you're talking about. Uh, I, I I certainly did sense it um, at the March for Life, and I do sense it from pro lifers. But but there is always a risk, especially among millennials. Um, that although I, I do believe we're the pro-life generation, or at least the pro-life movement is a youth movement, at the same time, we grew up, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade had long since been decided when we were born, and um, even longer by the time we were really under, coming to understand the issue. So it's just been part of our environment, part of our existence, part of our lives. And so there is a risk that it just becomes this, this sort of normal thing. And, uh, and even more than that, you know, we know that it's very hard for a movement to remain a movement for very long because very quickly it turns into a business mm-hmm. and, then it, and then it turns into a racket, you know, the mm-hmm. old saying there. Yep. Um, and, of course, there's a little bit of that that goes on in the, in the, in the pro-life movement. I won't deny that. There's a, there are some people who get into it and maybe it seems like they're not, they're not really concerned about ending abortion. They're just kind of in it because it's a, something to do. It's like a business for them. But... Um, it's a, I think it's impressive how long, you know, that is not the, the majority of people in the pro-life movement. And for the most part, it is still a movement. It has not turned into a racket yet. And I, and I, and I think that that's impressive that it could maintain this long and still be a legitimate movement. Uh, but I agree with you that, you know, we, we, it's, 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 it's great to go to the March for Life, but I would love to, for there to be a year when there's no reason for it. Um, although I think we're, we're still a far way off from that. Can we contemplate an America without state-sanctioned child sacrifice? Can we even contemplate that? It's, I mean, it's hard for me to contemplate it because this is everything that I've known. But I was, you know, my mom was was there with me at the march, and I was talking to her about it, and she was saying, she, she was talking about her memory of Roe v. Wade and how that was decided, and she remembers seeing her mother watching the news and, and breaking down in tears. So, so 
you know, she, she can remember what that was like for all of a sudden, oh my goodness, it's legal to kill babies again. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, and I know that even if, you know, it's, we're, we need a few more uh, Supreme Court picks before we can, before this will happen. But even if, even if Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, it's not like that just ends it. Because the, the abortion, you know, the pro-abortion people aren't going to go away. They're going to go into hyperdrive trying to get it back. So yeah, it's hard for me to imagine. But, but I know that no matter what happens, even if, you know, uh, God willing, Roe v. Wade is overturned, there's still going to always be this fight to protect and, and ma- life and to maintain those protections. Did you see anything at the march that gave you cause for pause as a pro-lifer that you thought, eh, I don't know if that's the best look? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you know, this is something I go back and forth on, um, and people that are in the pro-life movement, you know, we talk about this and we debate it. The whole issue of the victim, the victim images, uh, the, the the graphic images of aborted babies, uh, I think there is a place for that, you know, to to really put that in people's face and say, look, this is what's happening, you need to face it. But I think you have to be um, very thoughtful and considered about how you utilize that method and at the march for life there was one area um that you went through where there were these victim images all over the place and there was like some group had put together you know there was like creepy music playing and there was screams of children and uh there was video screens with uh, images of aborted babies people on bullhorn shouting and and um and I thought, first of all, why is that here? I mean, we all agree. You know, you don't need to. We, we're all the same page. That's why we're at the March for Life. You don't need to put this in our faces. We know. Um, but even aside from that, I thought it was, it's a little gratuitous, and I don't know if that's the most persuasive method um, in that context. So that was the only thing that made me stop and say, yeah, you know, I, I don't know about this. But even that, um, look, even if I don't agree with all the methods people use, I still am glad that they're in it, that they're in the movement, and they do care so we can talk about it. And as far as victim images go, I think, you know, the place for that, in my opinion, for sure, is on college campuses. Uh, it's a place of learning. It's supposed to be a place where people learn. Um, and these are all adults that are on college campuses. And I think that many of them need to be sort of uh, metaphorically smacked in the face um, and shaken awake a little bit. So that's a good place for it. I just, you know, I don't know. Just seeing it at the March for Life, I wasn't sure what the point of it was. For my money, he's one of the top conservative columnists out there. Matt Walsh from The Blaze is here with us on the Steve Day Show. So he was at the March for Life over the weekend, and his new column is talking about uh, the immigration fracas that came on the heels of the March for Life. That The very next day, the news cycle was completely diverted by this controversy of Trump's executive order. We spent a good deal of time on our show last night breaking that entire controversy down, but we're going to get Matt Walsh's take when we come back. Listening to Steve Dace. This show is dedicated to bacon every day. The Steve Dace Show. He's one of the most read and, I think, uh, thoughtful conservative columnists out there. Matt Walsh is here with us from The Blaze and The Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. 
on the Salem Radio Network. So on the heels of the March for Life, and uh, Team Trump found themselves on offense heading into the weekend. They were spanking the media and the left pretty bad uh, and giving the March for Life uh, definitely an added jolt of publicity. The next morning we wake up and we see Trump's first attempt to keep his promises on immigration are this executive order and the, the ensuing meltdown that occurred in the course of the rest of the weekend. I know you've got some thoughts on this, Matt. Share them with us. Yeah, I like, well, I agree with almost everyone who uh, pointed out that the way the thing was was rolled out was clumsy, to put it mildly. And uh, as far as the reports about, you know, he didn't consult with his cabinet officials, um, he didn't run it by his lawyers and everything, to whatever extent that's true, I think that was was completely idiotic and, and inexcusable. Especially when it's an issue as, as important as this, you have to be very thoughtful about how you approach it, and uh, you have experts all around you, so consult with them. But once we put that to the side, if you actually read the text of the executive order, which of course 99% of the protesters, if not 100% of them, have not read it, but if you do and you don't have a political axe to grind and you're just being objective about it, um, I, I don't know how you come away with it from it thinking anything other than, well, this is pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe maybe you have issues with this or that detail but for the most part the substance the thrust of the executive order makes a lot of sense because the thrust of the executive order is we're not doing anything permanently we're going to take a we're going to take a pause here for a moment reassess uh how we approach this uh reassess how we you know screen the people that come in put some new procedures in place and then start it up again so what's wrong with doing that it's it's look i know that trump during the campaign, did talk about a Muslim ban. He did say that. So he has contributed, for sure, to the confusion here. But it doesn't matter what he said or what he's tweeted. What matters is what the executive order actually does and what it says. And in there, there's nothing about a Muslim ban um, or anything even close to that. So the executive order itself, as it stands right now, uh, it's hard for me to take much issue with it. With it. Um, you know, the, the problem with the green card holders, what do you do with them? Well, from what I'm reading, uh, Trump is, is handing out exceptions to the to many green card holders right now as we speak. I think he granted like 100 exceptions yesterday. So, um, so I, I think they're working that out as well. So, so, so I, I like it for the most part. So, in response to much of the uh, the fake news and outrage that you just referenced, I found myself doing something on social media Saturday during a, a lonely winter's day here in the Midwest. I never envisioned I would do as a former never-Trumper. I spent it on social media defending the Trump administration. Because I think a lot of this, as you pointed out, is fake. And and what I found in, in these interactions, and maybe you run into this a lot as well, it, it, the amount of people, and I wish I could say it was just unique to the heresy of the age, progressivism, but it is not. The amount of people across the ideological divide who conflate their opinions and their assumptions and their analysis with facts, I just found this to be utterly astounding. Uh, do you run into this a lot, Matt? Yeah, and the worst thing about it is, because we can all suffer from that a little bit, um, that kind of arrogance of thinking, well, this is our opinion, so it must be a fact. But the worst part is that these opinions are, are, are so ignorant that people aren't even, it's not like you've even earned your arrogance because you're a very intelligent person, you've read so much, and you do the research. Um, but these are people who, who 
you know, we have something like an executive order that it would take 15 minutes to read, and they don't even read it, and yet they go out into the streets and they and they and they protest, and they're 100 percent sure that their analysis of it is correct. When there there is no, they haven't analyzed it at all. There is no analysis. They just, you know, I, I don't even know what it's based on. What, what, what is that their assumptions on, 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 on what Trump is doing based entirely on their own fantasies, on what they think in their heads. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. And the biggest problem with it is just the, the ignorance and how unconcerned people seem to be with the truth. Um, it's, it, it is a huge problem. Well, that is something I want to get your reaction to, because we talked about this last night with a gentleman who wrote a piece for The Federalist on Trump being the first politician to ever successfully turn postmodernism on itself. And a lot of this phenomenon of relativism and, and, and lack of truth is, is birthed and bathed in, in postmodernism. And one of the questions I asked him uh, last night, Matt, is, if if Trump uses these postmodern tactics to to in order to recognize because it's a tactical advantage in light of the culture we're addressing, or at his core is he a byproduct of this postmodernism as well? Because the answer to that question probably tells conservatives where they truly stand the next four years. If this is just all a shtick, uh, you know, a pro wrestling persona in order to deal with the crowd. Uh, that's one thing. But it, but if he himself is an adherent to this level of postmodernism, and that's why he speaks the language so fluently, well, that means something else. So, so are we dealing here with a guy who is um, an incredible Hulk uh, created in a lab, and therefore he's a product of his environment? Or is this somebody who is cleverly using the nomenclature of the day in order to defeat his opponents and advance what he's interested in? Yeah, definitely. Definitely not the latter. Uh, definitely not that. I, if that's what it, if, if that's what this all is, it's it's some brilliant method acting that he's been doing, not just for the course of his administration or the campaign, but it would. Have, I mean, this is something that he would have started decades ago. Uh, assuming he assumed this persona decades ago with this in mind, and if that were the case, then he is the most brilliant human being who's maybe ever lived, and uh, <laughs> and my entire analysis of him would have to change, but. I really, 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 really don't think that's the case. Um, that just defies all logic. This is this is just who he is. It's who he's always been, and he does speak the language because he's a product of that environment. So yeah, he, he's the, I, I would go with the former thing there. He's, he's the Incredible Hulk who created in a lab, but um, it, he can be. So our job now is to use him and to keep guiding him. Yeah, you got to rein him in. Right? There's got to be some other people on the Avengers team, right? You can't just send Hulk out there into the wilderness on his own. Otherwise, everything gets destroyed, right? Right. Hulk is, look, I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm great with the superhero analogies, but I, <laughs> I do know that Hulk's big thing is the Hulk smash, right? You know? Right. So he, he, he just he can just smash things, and sometimes you need someone who can smash, but you can't just have smashing. So you so we need Trump to come in and do some smashing, but he's got to smash the right things and smash in the right direction. Um, and so that's what he needs the people around him for, and which is why I keep saying that I, that, that I hope he allows them to lead him a little bit and to guide him him and one of my big concerns with the executive order is that although in substance for the most part it's good uh it seems like he didn't consult with people around him and it worked out okay that time but i i I hope that he trusts them and lets them tell him where to go smash matt walsh and the blaze always good to talk to you my friend thank you very much thanks a lot steve take care so matt is firmly ensconced in the corner of no this is not a clever ruse 
Uh, this is not a tactical real politique. That he is a product of the environment. Uh, he has been infected with the same gamma rays of uh, postmodernism that uh, the rest of us have and is able to speak it fluently because he is one with the machine. Therefore, it really does matter who is placed around him. We'll get some reaction to what we just heard from Matt Walsh here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. is a force of nature. One of the most powerful storms ever to hit land. The Steve Day Show. All right, let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Matt Walsh from The Blaze here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Aaron, what did Matt have to say the last couple of segments that stood out to you? Well, I'll um, I'll get to the uh, whole environment product of the environment type of thing. I, I think what he said um, about the pro-life uh, or the March for Life uh, issue regarding the images, specifically the images of uh, abortion victims, uh, there is I, I think there is a conversation to be had there. Uh, about when the appropriate time or when the most uh, impact um, can be had from showing those images, because I do think uh, I agree with him. I, there's um, you know, there's a time for that. Whether gratuitous, just all of the time, right there in your face, is the time for that. I, I'm not so convinced that that is the truth. Now, as far as Donald Trump and being a product of the environment versus being some sort of extremely smart. Uh, phenomenon that this world has never seen. I, I'm not sure if he's so much the product of the environment or just the embodiment of it, or if that's just, there's probably two ways of saying the exact same thing. Because really he is, he is the bluster. He is everything that the, we saw during this uh, election cycle. He is anger, he is backlash, he is all of that. It's almost like he is one with the environment, and that's why he's become so successful. So I, I, I do agree. Is the Anakin Skywalker, the midi-chlorians just created him spontaneously. Right. right. He is a product, a direct byproduct of the Force. Right. I mean, he, he is our culture. He is um, he has taken the, on the proje- projection of everything I think that a lot of people wanted to see in a candidate slash president. And he is, I mean, he is just, he's a product, and he's good at selling himself. So he's not, I don't think he's um, just this super genius, but he is He is very good at selling stuff. So, Todd, I believe Aaron described Trump as a political poltergeist. He is a physical manifestation of the spiritual energy mm-hmm. of the age. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I think i got to get this Hulk analogy of mine that I've been using for more than a year now trademarked. It's going places, don't you think? Uh, yeah. yeah, before I steal it. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> I guess it does ultimately yours anyways. You do write the check. Uh, it, it was uh, chilling when he when Matt Wall said what is, I think, undeniably true that that the uh, immigration order was, and I think the words he used were, quote, utterly reasonable. That is absolutely true. But the, the discussion we've had is the exact opposite of reasonable, which I think then goes to show the, the state of our nation. And on every Level, pick an issue. When's the last time we've had an issue bandied about that's discussed at large in a reasonable sense? It doesn't happen anymore. And, and the thing is, because of what you just said, the temptation is to sit here by most people that do what we do for a living and most of the people that listen to it and just rail against those that have created this environment. And I understand that. 
but that won't that won't alter the outcome at all. You know, I mean, it's 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 like sitting around railing against school, in, you know, tomorrow's national signing day in football recruiting. Well, you know, this conference and this team, they cheat, they buy kids, we can't recruit. Okay, you know what? That may be true, but I can promise you this. You go out there and suck with the kids you did sign, the athletic director and the school president and the alumni aren't kind of like, well, we'll give you an extra year or two because you didn't cheat in recruiting. Oh, they're going to fire your sorry keister. All right, so if you're not, not going to cheat like so-and-so is, then you better find some other way to recruit and develop players because it's about winning games. You can't control whether another school cheats or not. You can control the, how you respond to it, the kids you recruit instead, how the, the quality by which you can identify talent, develop it, etc. So it, how does that apply here? We can't control, you know, the flip-out industry. That's what it's there for. It's to flip out. That's, everything's an outrage. That's the point of it. What we have to look at is, what did we do to feed this? Because Trump has done a very good job. He wouldn't have gotten elected if he could not do this in isolating the freakout and then mocking it. Uh, but but you, your own actions can't provide credibility to the freakout. That's don't don't that's when the freak out hurts you is when your own actions do. And that's why we talked about this so much last night. They need to be self scouting what they did over the weekend, right and wrong. What did we do right to be emulated? What did we do wrong to be corrected? Because we know how our opponents are going to react. If we run this play, we no, know no, how they're going to react. But not just our opponents, our president, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's where the self scouting needs to come from. Is from there. <laughs> that's going to happen. Well, then you're going to run. Then, yeah. then and, his lack of self discipline and the motley crew of various ideologies he surrounded himself with threatens to, over the course of four years, undermine his ability to keep his promises and govern. That's a fact of life. You though. have to do this if you're in Trump's inner circle, and you have to present it to him in a way that, hey, look, this is how this tarnishes your legacy. This is how this is uh, not helping you or hurting you from achieving whatever it is that you. Got uh, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve here. You got to put it in terms that it's all about Trump. Yes, if you're in your inner circle. That is exactly right. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. have to pry this microphone from his cold, dead fingers. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. I want to address something that I saw earlier today. And it it is... it is one thing to get things wrong. We all make mistakes. We all, uh, none of us are oracles. None of us are omniscient. We are not all knowing. We're going to get our facts wrong. It's another thing to assert something that may be false in, in the ideology behind it, but isn't an intent to deceive, right? Meaning, what you believe is not true, but your intent in disseminating it, in, in, in furthering it, in peddling it, is not to deceive people. What you just believe isn't true, right? Like if you believe, for example, that uh, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. That's not true. It's totally false. But 
if you're sincere in that conviction, you yourself may not be, you may be deceived, but you may not be a deceiver. See what I'm trying to say? So, I mean, you can, you can, you can say things, you can perpetuate things, you can further things that are false, but that doesn't necessarily make you a liar because your intent is not to deceive. And then there is when what you are saying is just so false and easily disproven that you give us no other conclusion but to believe you are a liar. I want to address that third subject, that third criteria for a moment. So this morning I saw some people on the left comparing what happened with Trump firing uh, Sally Yates, who was the acting attorney general until Jeff Sessions takes over, with Trump firing her to the Saturday Night Massacre. Now, if you're Aaron's age or younger, heck, if you're our age or younger, you probably don't even know what that's a reference to, but it goes back to Watergate. When Nixon tried to compel several people in his administration uh, to perform an action um, in violation, I believe it was of a court order, uh, and they would not. And he just kept firing people until he found someone that would do it for him. And the carnage of people that were fired that moment uh, happened on a Saturday night. And it's been and it's referred to as the Saturday night massacre in Watergate lore. This is nothing like that. This is nothing. Now, this is not meant to defend Trump's executive order uh, or the policy it was trying to institute. That's a separate conversation. This is just about how we get lied to in our culture and and the people that are lying to us. In the Saturday Night Massacre, Nixon fired people, multiple people, that he appointed, that were part of his administration, that would not carry out an unlawful edict from him. In this case, Donald Trump fired the opposition's his opposition predecessors fill in who would not carry out his lawful edict. He's well within his rights constitutionally to do what he tried to do. You may not. Now that doesn't mean it was a good policy. That's a separate argument. And it doesn't mean that even if you think it's a good policy, they executed it properly. Those are separate arguments. And one of the things, I think I, you know, if, if post-truth, gentlemen, was the word of 2016, I think I know already what the word for 2017 will be. Conflation. Conflation will be the word of 2017. Like how many of you, when I pointed out facts to you over the weekend, responded to me with your analysis, conclusions, and opinions, which may even be correct, but they are not facts. You are conflating your analysis with a fact. You're conflating your conclusions, your opinions, with facts. It is not a fact in dispute that he was not lawful in what he was attempting to do in the way he did it. What is in dispute is whether it was a good policy and whether it was executed and or whether it was executed properly. That is not in dispute. In fact, when you listen, if you look at at, at, at Ms. Yates' statement, it doesn't even try to claim Donald Trump was violating the Constitution. But this was her quote. I think it was a quote, if I remember right, personal view of the law. If that just doesn't scream progressive, I don't know what is. You know what I think of your personal view of the law? I just flushed it after I grunted in a toilet seat. Okay, that's what I think. You're the attorney freaking general. Your personal view of the law is irrelevant. That's the conflation. The conflation. This isn't about your personal view of the law. It's about what is the law. 
So other than the fact Richard Nixon fired people he appointed who would not carry out his unlawful edict and Donald Trump fired somebody he inherited who would not carry out his lawful edict, your guys are right on the left. It's exactly the same. Other than all of the material facts in question are different. Perfect comparison. Golf clap. Well done with your alternative facts. Well played. Beautiful. Now, I wish I could tell you that this is only happening on the other side. But I've seen also today from people on our side who I respect comparing Sally Yates to Kim Davis and saying that, hey, when Sally Yates stood up and said, I don't want to enforce the law, the left applauded. But when Kim Davis did it, they wanted to throw her in jail. Now, their intent, I believe, is probably to catch the left in a hypocrisy. But but the problem with that, again, is this is, again, where reactionaryism isn't con- conservatism. Kim Davis went to jail for upholding the law. First of all, the law has a source, folks. It, it doesn't just spontaneously combust. It doesn't just evolve. It, didn't, it just doesn't happen through osmosis. Huh? Hey, the, the apple just didn't fall on Isaac Newton's head. The law! The law has a source. And in our form of government, the law's source are the laws of nature and nature's God, according to the mission statement of these United States. And that's why we posted that natural law called the Ten Commandments in every one of our public facilities in this country for the first 200 years. And it's why they're still there at the U.S. Supreme Court. They're etched in stone. No question. Literally. Literally. That's the, the law has a source. It comes from somewhere. And the natural law of the planet says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, Steve, Jesus never said anything about marriage. You mean like in the Gospels when he said, have you not heard the Creator made them male and female? And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He repeats exactly what is in the law. Why? Because Jesus is the Word made flesh, and the law comes from the Word. Jesus said, I didn't come to either abolish the law or to cancel it out. I came to fulfill it. I'm the fulfillment of this law. Kim Davis was upholding the law, not to mention, you could make a strong argument, the jurisdictional authority of marriage, because marriage has always been administered by which jurisdiction in our country, guys? States. She was following the Commonwealth of Kentucky's law. She was rebelling against Obergefell. There's a difference. Other than that, you're right. They're the same. You're listening to Steve Dace. When you're upsetting everyone, you know you're doing it right. You are human tennis elbow. You are a pizza burn on the roof of the world's mouth. It's Steve Dace. You know, I almost wonder if, if this just ought to be our full-time jobs. We just come in here at night, well, at least until February 17th. We come in here every night and just undo all the ideological and rhetorical damage and false moral equivalencies and fake headlines that have just been done to, the, to, to this unsuspecting populace of Americans throughout the course of the day. If that's just what we ought to just dedicate our show to every single night. Yeah, but... We're just, we were talking about changing the name to, to Dispatches from Kukistan. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should change it to Clean Up in Aisle 9. Okay? Starting at 9 o'clock tonight, Eastern Time. 
We don't want our truth. We want our lies, though, Steve. So I don't know. We we better uh, we better stay away from that. I I agree that the, the the word of this year so far is going to be conflation. I saw this on the immigration issue with Christians over the weekend. They they t- tend to conflate what a Christian attitude towards the least uh, fortunate and the most vulnerable should be. They they tend to conflate attitude with policy. It's not the same thing. You can have a heart for refugees, but that's not the same as a policy. United States policy. Policies towards letting refugees in—that's that's, that's an, a, a separate issue. But I agree that yes, we we live in a country full of people who don't understand what a law is and where it comes from, because we live in a country full of people who think that we live in a what? A democracy. So a democracy is basically mob rule, as the founders called it, and that's why we don't understand these types of things. That's why we have people who are conflating Kim Davis with this uh, Sally Yates uh, character. That's why we don't understand that the law does, like you said, have a source, and that source uh, that source dictates how we view the law as well. Case in point. It's actually a headline today that Rand Paul said this this afternoon. The Constitution only applies to Americans. Opening words of the U.S. Constitution. We, the people of the United Federation of Planets. <laughs> we, the people of these United Nations. We, the people of the intergalactic realm. We, the people of planetary conjoinment. No. We, the people of the United States, guys. United States. It is not the planetary constitution, it is the U.S. Constitution, but thank you. That sounds like hate speech, Steve. You're right. I hate all the lies being told <laughs> to the people in our audience. I hate them. Uh, I With apl- the heat of a thousand suns. I applaud everything you said about Kim Davis, but unfortunately we're going to be wandering in the desert for quite a while on that because uh, our President Trump just uh, ratified the opposite understanding of that uh, today with his... Uh, backing of obama's rainbow jihad we're just not going to get that for a while as for yes the intentions of pointing out the hypocrisy of the left well they are uh hypocrites the ends clearly justify the means remember that every time they take a stride and stand because they will almost always do the opposite tactically or philosophically if it suits whatever their political bottom line is hour three is next Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with our third and final hour tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. On the Salem Radio Network, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. The last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up later on in this hour, what does it look like when you attempt to do something in your local community on an issue that 
is one of the sacred cows of the American left. We're going to talk to a gal who has decided to touch that hot stove coming up here uh, a little bit later on in this hour. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, indeed. These are Aaron's three questions. Each night at this time, he gets to ask us any three things about any three things. Takes out that learner's permit. We give him the keys to the car, and he drives it for the next uh, segment or so. He can ask us anything at all that he would like. Nothing's off limits, but there is a rule. He has to answer the same questions he asks of us. You know, Steve, I think I'm doing pretty well. I've only crashed the car like every night. Well, we haven't tried parallel parking yet. Keep that in mind. That's true. Uh, If you were in a position close to Trump, like in Mike Pence's shoes right now, would you try to raise hell and expend all of your political capital to try to reverse Trump's executive order against Christian-owned businesses, or would you wait to fight another uh, day or choose another hill to die on? Uh, well, first of all, I'd make sure that I'm actually in Trump's inner circle. Right. Um, and, and I think that's I think that's a revolving construct. I think, for example, when we were assessing Trump's cabinet, we found very little evidence of Steve Bannon's influence. I think in the last week, you can see a lot of evidence for Steve Bannon's influence. Right. So I, I, I think that this operates around uh, operates similar to a solar system. And sometimes of the year, some planets are closer to the sun in their orbit than others. And sometimes uh, it's winter and sometimes it's summer on your particular planet, depending on which direction you're facing. I think the, <laughs> you... on, I think the only real constants of who's in his inner sanctum are probably the kids. And even I think that's somewhat negotiable uh, based on reputation alone. I don't believe that's Jared had anything at all to do with his executive order at all. This isn't up his bailiwick at all. I, I think uh, you haven't really heard hide nor hair uh, out of Ivanka. So I think it's very. I, I think it's Politburo esque. If you remember when we were kids, Todd, and you, we went through that period where we, after Brezhnev died, where you woke up every morning, you weren't sure who was running the Soviet Union. You know what I'm saying? It was just, and they just kind of had this, you know, inner power struggle, and they they were just a bunch of old guys and weren't sure about the future, where to go, until Gorbachev finally won his Night of the Long Knives and took over. And I think that's rem- emblematic of what it's like to be in Trump's inner circle. So, to, to, But in this case, yes, I would. I would. This is a hill to die on. Because you're talking about a group of people that you can't win without them. And I go back, Todd, to something you tweeted out earlier today. If Trump got if Trump if Trump got gender reassignment surgery himself, the rainbow jihad would still hate him. And and this is where you got to dance with who brung you. And there just is there's a piece that Conservative Review Nate Madden wrote this earlier. There's just there's no political benefit to Trump on any level at all, even if this is an issue that he deeply cares about. He there is literally no political benefit to him at all for the actions he has taken here. The zip zilch nada. Nothing. Negative integers, in fact. You're right. It's a hill to die on, but that's, uh, I would have the opposite. In, unless I saw some new opening, I, I wouldn't waste any time. Did anybody think there was a chance of him 
doing anything other than what he just did. He had an opportunity to sew the the uh, nomination for the Republican Party shut if he went to uh, bat for uh, uh, sweet cakes by Melissa. Uh, and, and simply said, you know, I, listen, I have feet of clay on marriage. Uh, I, I'm not the best Christian, but I, there's no way on my watch it, we're going to have businesses shut down because what people believe uh, about marriage. Open and close. He had that opportunity. Th- as you said, Steve, this was the smart, the only political play. He didn't make it. He won't make it. So, again, unless there is just some, you know, dove descending from the heavens that sees a door has been opened, I want to waste any time. He's not one of us on this issue. This is the definition of playing with fire because of the, because of what you both of you just mentioned, that this is this is there's no way that he can win. For, uh, Donald Trump can win from doing what he did this morning with this executive order. And on the flip side, you're opening yourself up to a uh, to uh, one giving uh, somebody in your inner circle like Mike Pence, if they had courage of conviction, to going rogue and going no this far and no further. I do. I'm not going to be a part of this, and that has a chance of just completely derailing your presidency. So you're absolutely right, Steve, when you say this is time to dance with uh, Hubrunya, and uh, this is. This is not doing him any favor. So to answer the question, yes, I would fight like hell to try to reverse this. Question two, if you could delete the existence of one website and guarantee it never came back, what would it be? <laughs> oh, this is easy. You go then first. Because, I, I, I mean, I'd have a hard time narrowing it down to one. Go ahead. Uh, our, many of our listeners might be familiar with uh, Pathios, which has... <laughs> Multiple strain, but it's there's Pathios Catholic, yeah. Pathios Evangelical. The Pathios Catholic stuff is, is fantastic, mm-hmm. but there's just plain Pathios, which is secular, humanist, atheist. It is yeah, I've seen that unbelievable tripe. I mean, just total garbage. Passing as people, and they also I, I've read the Bible, uh, and I know more uh, than you silly Christians do. I, I, okay, so. Finally, because sometimes that's the like case. the guy who told me last night. I thought Xerxes is who sent Nehemiah. To Jerusalem, uh, well, and I said, "Have you read the book? The opening chapter it, is Nehemiah praying to God to uh, send you, his people back to Jerusalem." You're only scratching the surface on the stupidity. That is such an easy answer for me, Pathios. You know what? I'm going to say what I really think, even though it's probably not career um, uh, career advocacy uh, for me to do so. Drudge. That's what I was going with. I, I, it's Drudge. It's outlived its usefulness. It's become, it's become banal clickbait. It gives people a crutch to be uninformed, uh, and it's 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 just written by a guy who is a sensationalist anyway, and and somehow wormed his way into being the leading website for conservatism when he's not conservative. Quick follow: Was it always that way, or has Drudge changed so people I think, truly I think, understand? I think I think of course it wasn't always that way. But I think eventually your sins find you out, right? Like when you find out that the guy who, you, you, when you watched Gateway Pundit start going off the rails the last few years, you'd be like, what in the world's going on with this site? And then and this was even before the Trump thing. That just made it worse. And then in the middle of the Trump thing, Jim Hoff comes out and says, well, I've been secretly hiding I'm a homosexual all these years. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You're living a secret life. You're living a life of sin. You're hiding it from people. Eventually, your sins will find you out, and, and, and that will seep into your overall integrity and credibility. And now you can see that at this point, I mean, I wouldn't, if Gateway Pundit spelled my name right, I'd go back to my birth certificate and verify, okay? I mean, that's just the reality. So I, I think that at first, yeah. It's like at first Bill O'Reilly wrote 
Culture Warrior as a best-selling book. And now he lectures you that the, that the Old Testament's a metaphor and you're a bunch of Bible thumpers if you want to keep marriage between a man and a woman. Eventually, if your worldview is a scam, eventually that will be revealed. Once the peer pressure and everything else wears off and it's just you and your conscience, eventually, uh, eventually things come to the surface. It's a drudge for me as well and for some of the reasons that you mentioned. But most of all, it's just, I mean, it is like an online version. I mean, when I was, in, when I was in a- ARJ's, I didn't, the first thing I did when I got up in the morning was read Drudge. Yeah. Now I haven't, I haven't looked at it in at least in two or three years. I, I won't even click on it. Yeah, I mean, it's tabloid, but that's somehow some sort of standard of conservatism. If you've made it to Drudge, you've really made it. Um, that, that needs to go away. Uh, quickly, question three. What's something you used to enjoy that you don't really care for anymore? Hmm. Something I used to enjoy that I don't really care for anymore. I don't know, because I'm pretty immature. <laughs> so, Not a huge fan of candy anymore. No? No. Um, you know what? I'll say this. I love cereal. But since I started with the low-carb thing, that was the toughest adjustment but now that the adjustment's been made, you know, when I have a cheat egg and have a bowl, and that's great, I thought, you know, having the cereal around with the kids and stuff would drive me nuts. I mean, when I was in my 20s, my aspiration was to have that shelf that Seinfeld had on his, sh- on his show that just had all the different cereal brands there. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked at how easy in the end it was for me just to walk away from it. So I'll go with cereal. I'll go with that. Uh, video games. Which is a departure from... And for no... I think they're cool. I remember finally going to the arcade at the mm-hmm. mall. Just... Don't play them anymore. Nightly Buzz is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberals seem to have a tough time handling so much truth all in one place. Stop! Stop! It's the Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. Yes, indeed we do. This is the Nightly Buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show, because not even in the midst of a three-hour program can we cover all the news worthy of being so. So these are the headlines. Our producer, Aaron, has noticed that we've missed but are trending on social media or at your water cooler at work. He dispenses the headlines. We respond with the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Oh, by the way, I I want to do something different. Gotcha. Okay. I forgot about this. Can we do futuristic nightly buzz <laughs> prophetic <laughs> nightly buzz can we do prophetic uh, nightly buzz yes can i can i do I, I'm can i prophesy yes can i prophesy i'm a, I, i'm gonna pro this is prophesy nightly buzz this is like a mixture of nightly buzz and buy sell hold y- yes i want to now be the first person to congratulate sally yates for the for her future gig on television being either the legal affairs correspondent or her own legal affairs show like Greta Van Susteren got her breakthrough in the OJ trial okay with Roger Cossack 
right? I want to congratulate her preemptively for the gig that is sure to come. The left loves its fake martyrs. It loves its fake heroes. She is their new Michael Sam this morning. This this stunt she pulled of getting fired on purpose. It's all this is all masterpiece theater. All right, she knew she was going to get fired, and that, dude, there was a race. I'm telling you, amongst the Obama Easter holdovers, as the transition is still ongoing, there was a race to see who could get fired by Trump first to make that the first line on their resume. Props to Sally Yates. You win. If you had her in your office grandstanding pool, I got to give secondary congrats and props to you as well. Sally Yates is on her way to leftist media stardom. I see you in Razor. You're underselling this. To me, she is the front runner to run against Trump in four years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. She hit the no, jackpot, though. Problem is, that's going to require a substantial pay cut from what's coming her way. First story, the three networks gave approximately 57 times the coverage to President Donald Trump's uh, executive order temporarily banning immigration from seven Middle Eastern countries than it did the same time period for former President Obama's order permanently ending a program for Cuban refugees. Go! (laughs) Yeah, this is this. You can't see me tonight, ladies and gentlemen, but this is not my shocked face, nor is this my shocked voice. And, and I would imagine the amount of coverage they gave this to Obama's six-month moratorium on Iraqi uh, refugee uh, importing uh, back in 2011 is two to three times that, I would imagine, Todd. Yeah, I already said it once today, but the, the ends justify the means to these folks. That's their standard. They do not care about being uh, intellectually honest with what they've said in the past because that's not how they – they are pure propaganda. And the ones who you – I mean, if you really get them in a room, you can get them to admit it, and they'll just say, yeah, I don't care. It is their it. They they step on the gas. They scream bigot. They scream liar. They scream this. It is all emotion-laden. So this is not news. We know this is how, how they work. You're right, which is why I I haven't spent most of my career railing against them, which is why I'm not as rich as all the guys that do, because that's what you guys listening, that's what you want. You know, just to rail against these people and make you feel like there's victims and there's nothing we can do, we just have to put up with it, as if there's no other party, no other mechanisms, no other representation whatsoever, other than just take it from these people all the time and come on here for three hours and talk about how bad they are and rail against them and do the straw man thing, cash the check, go home. But the problem is, when I do go home, I go home to three kids and a mortgage like many of you do. Wondering what their future is. With a with a with an oldest who's about to turn sixteen, and I'm you know like most of you when your when your kids did scared to death of what she's going to do with and to her first car. With the set with a young with a youngest daughter who has some learning disabilities, and wondering can we can we get her to the point that she will be fully functional as an adult when she leaves the home. With a nine-year-old son that you look at and think, boy, this kid thinks I walk on water, and I know that I don't. So I'm really concerned that given how much influence I have with this young man, I'm going to really screw him up because I am. Right? I, I go home with the same fears, issues, trials, tribulations you do, which is why I'm not trying to just gather a crowd and cash a check. I, I, I'm concerned about the country. I don't get to go home to my fourth wife on my private island like other people do. 
I go home to my three kids and a mortgage. So I'm worried about the future, not my next ratings book. And that's why on our show, we focus on the people who claim to oppose everything Todd just said. Because we're not helpless. We're not victims. There's plenty of options and opportunities out there. Look at what, if, if you take it, if, if you believe that what Sally Yates did was laudable, then, then what she practiced is a constitutional theory that our founders gave us called interposition. Meaning, or the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, meaning the lesser magistrate, the lesser being, or the not in terms of value, but in terms of rank in our government, steps in when somebody above them goes, goes off the reservation with the Constitution and says, I will not implement that. Now, notice that the left does that, practices interposition, to undermine the Constitution. We can't even get our side to practice it to sustain it. And when someone like Kim Davis tried to about a year and a half ago, half the people on our side threw her under the bus as a freak show, and uh, she's not following the law because, you know, the law is whatever the courts say it is this week, and all that other garbage. See, that's how you lose your country. You don't lose your country because of the phenomenon of your opponents that Todd just described. You lose your country because there's no opposition to it. That's when you lose your country. And Yates actually uh, proved my point. Uh, today in talking about uh, uh, this nonsense. I mean, she went on Twitter after she was fired, and she said, and she actually said upon questioning, I'm not really sure about the constitutionality. That's not why I read this. And then she goes on Twitter and starts talking about how there's uh, more people have died due to white terrorism than Muslim terrorism. <laughs> that, again, they're just trolling us all the time. They're fundamental uh, a prior principle is to because troll their, their own their country. World, their worldview is a troll. Is a troll. Progressivism is a cult. The worldview itself is a troll. That's why the methodology of carrying it forth follows suit. In and a, it is at its base a troll from hell. Hell is trolling you with the oldest troll of them all. Ye be like God. Make up your own gender. Make up your own truth. Make up your own climate. Make it all up. Make up your own income. Make up your own inequality. Make up your own equality. Make up everything. Ye be like God. It's the oldest troll of them all. Aaron, it is one troll to troll them all. Speaking of trolls from hell, the British Medical Association is urging staff and representatives not to refer as pregnant patients as expectant mothers because it may offend cross-dressing men. Exhibit nine million. You were saying exactly. Sorry for the Department of Redundancy Department. Asked and answered, Your Honor. You're listening to Steve Dace. There's left, there's right, and then there's right. You've come to the right place. It's the Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So what happens, you know, we try to encourage people on our show to stand up for what they believe in. Uh, and, And that begins right there. Uh, in your own backyard. The greatest commission that's ever been given to humanity says, hey, first start in your own neighborhood, then go to your own city, 
then go to the state and country around you and then try and take on the world from there. But but start in your own backyard first. Or as Tip O'Neill once famously opined, all politics is local. We have with us Kayla Marshall, and, and she is one such person attempting to do exactly that. And she is running for school board there in New Mexico in her in her backyard. And she has sort of touched off a controversy over what really, until about a year ago, wasn't controversial anywhere in human civilization at all. And we want to welcome her to the show tonight. Kayla, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Several of our listeners suggested that we highlight this story, so that's why we decided to give you a call. Tell our audience, who exactly is Kayla Marshall? All right. Well, I'm Kayla Marshall. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I am running for the Albuquerque Public School Board in District 5, which is from the west side. I have a master's in business from the University of New Mexico, and I work in accounting and human resources currently. So you're educated, you're local, and you're running for school board. Why? Because of all of what you just said, actually, because the schools are pushing down an ideology upon our kids. And what is happening in the schools is the future of our country. And so I'm tired of seeing what's coming out of our schools, and I'm taking a stand and doing something about it. You have angered the tolerance mob. Uh, and, 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 and because you actually think that boys ought to go to the bathroom with boys and girls should do likewise, like we have done as a civilized species for a few uh, epochs of time now. Right, exactly. I guess you've been reading my Twitter. <laughs> I have. Tell us, tell us how, how your stance on this came about and the reaction from the other side of this argument, uh, how, how they have, how they've reacted to what you are doing. Okay, well, I guess I'll go back to the beginning, because APS started to, Albuquerque Public Schools started to implement this policy last year, maybe almost a year ago. So I've been in front of the board with other parents for months, trying to get them to hear us, and they weren't interested in talking to us. They implemented the policy behind closed doors, I mean, they talked about it in public meetings, but it was basically the board never voted on it. They just allowed the superintendent to implement it. So we've been going on months. So wait a minute. They would not. I want to make sure our audience gets this. You had and a group of parents went to them and said, hey, we want to discuss this. And they refused to talk to their own bosses, the people that are writing the checks for them to have their jobs as public servants. They would not even talk to you about this. Well, they let us have a minute or two at public forum at the board meetings. How benevolent. Yes, that's right. Right. That's great. But we never really got any traction. So I was challenged at one point by a person who was, had done some activism in the schools beforehand years ago, maybe 10 years ago, that the only way to change this problem is to be on the inside. You can't change it by pressure from the outside. You have to be on the inside. So, okay, that's what I did. I ran for board. <laughs> The reaction your candidacy has received has been what? It has been positive for the most part. I have gotten a lot of negative comments from one particular person on Twitter over the bathroom policy, but it wasn't at first what she was talking about. She wasn't really coming out with why she was attacking me until another group sent out an email. It was Progress New Mexico sent out an email with my flyer and flyers of three other candidates in other districts attacking all of us 
for our beliefs. And then, you know, of course, point by point from that email, she started attacking me on Twitter and it finally came out. It was a bathroom policy that she had a problem with. So we're talking to somebody that's just like a lot of you, Kayla Marshall, and has just decided she's not taking it anymore as a taxpayer and has stood up as an everyday American uh, to run for school board in her local community in New Mexico because her final straw, and we all have a different final straw, but hers was, hey, I've got kids in these schools, you're endangering them with this asinine bathroom policy, and you wouldn't listen to us when we had complaints about it as parents, so I'm going to run for the school board. And because of that, of course, now she is all forms of bigotry, and I'm guessing being on this show is only going to make all of that trolling she is about to receive worse. We'll talk more with Kayla here in a moment. Back here with Kayla Marshall, everyday American like many of you, taking a stand in her local school board race on an issue of cultural sanity. Listening to Steve Dace. He's got his finger on the button of truth. Put the finger down. It's Steve Dace. Back here with Kayla Marshall, everyday American like many of you, taking a stand in her local school board race on an issue of cultural sanity. Have you been able to see how much trolling and anger you have received from people who will actually vote or are eligible to vote in this district in Albuquerque and how much of it comes from leftist interests outside of the community from different parts of the country? I'll give you an example, Kayla. Several years ago, uh, if you'll recall, the, the, the original Kermit Gosnell, George Tiller, uh, was handing out flyers at his church, and a maniac walked in, opened fire, and killed him. Okay. And so this is obviously, uh, regardless of what you think of George Tiller's actions, and I thought they were wicked, uh, you're not allowed to take the law in your own hands and just murder people in cold blood. We have something called a due process, right? So right, right. the next day I go on the air, and I, I spent 15 minutes opening up. This was the biggest story in the country at the time. And I was just a little talk show host guy from Des Moines then. And I spent the opening 15 minutes on my show, and I think I spent 12 and a half minutes on why this was wrong. This is not justifiable homicide. And then I think I said for, I spent about two and a half minutes saying what's this, this, one of the saddest aspects of this story is, despite the injustice that's been done here, is that there are, because of what George Tiller did for a living, there are going to be children that will be alive now that otherwise would not have been the day before. The next day we came in and man, Rachel Maddow and MSNBC had made me a cause celeb. We're besieged. You know, our Iowa radio stations besieged with emails and everything else. Well, we had the resources to IP audit all of these people. We wanted to know how many of them actually were in our listening audience. Right. What we found is from, from this multitude of mail we received, three were actually from Iowa and, and two of them were actually from Iowa City, which is, were on the, which was on the fringes of my listening audience. The other 99.5% of this stuff came from Delaware, Hawaii, places around the country. And of course, they don't tell you that when they send you the emails. They say, Hey, I'm one of your constituents, you know, the people that believe lies lie. And so I'm wondering (laughs) if you have run into this in your own campaign. Well, I'm not sure how much is coming from outside sources. This person's handle says New Mexico. 
so I'm assuming that she's from New Mexico. I'm not really sure exactly. And then there has been some other attacks that have been New Mexico-wide, not just Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. But as far as other places in the country, I'm not sure. And it would be very few, I think. Well, I bring this up to you now. Because since you've been on this show, this may wa- this may raise your profile and send the trolls a coming. Right. Okay, so right. no, I kind of figure that. <laughs> so, so, so when but, they when they do, make sure you re- realize most of them probably don't even live where you live and aren't even eligible to vote in your race. Right, that's true. And I actually there was an email that was sent out from one of our state senators, Martin Heinrich, um, about the the race, and so he's kind of putting himself into the race when. He's a U.S. senator, actually. So, yeah, he says you're trying to bring North Carolina's bathroom battle to Albuquerque, right? But right. it would seem like the people who changed the policy were the ones actually trying to bring the battle. You are you were just defending the existing one, right? Defending the existing one. I, I before they implemented the policy that would allow a boy who identifies as a girl to use the girls' bathroom, locker room, and play on the same sports team. Before it was handled on a case by case basis. And they were given special accommodations in a teacher bathroom or another single stall bathroom, which is what I would be going back to. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones that changed it last year, not that I'm trying to radically change something, which I've been accused of. Well, congratulations, Kayla. You're about to be accused of a lot more. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so how can our audience follow this story in, in your race? Should they follow you on Twitter? How can they do that? Right. They can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Marshall Kayla R. Or they could follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Marshall for School Board. That's the word F-O-R. All right. Thank you, Kayla. God bless you for taking a stand down there. We appreciate it. Take well, care. Thank you. You have a nice day. I want to get you guys' reaction to this. And I, I want to reiterate, too, what I said to Kayla, because I've, I've just helped so many people run for office, and I've run into this a million times. Don't overreact to the hate you get. This is a technique that the left teaches called jamming. It's literally, it's literally, it's a technique. They, they literally train people to um, just squat on comment sections of blogs on all sides of the ideological divide and just troll all day long to make you think when you read them that, boy, nobody agrees with what I'm saying. I'm totally isolated. And they do this when people like everyday people like Kayla or you listening, when you run for office. You get on your school board, you get on your state legislature, uh, they'll convince you that there's nobody else that thinks like you, and often this is like two gay guys living in Delaware sending like 500 of these, okay? So don't fall for it, Todd. Yeah, absolutely not. And it's it's a credit to her for doing this, uh, you know. People like the three of us engage in this stuff uh, all the time. Um, but what really needs to happen on every issue we talk about is we're abnormal people. The normal people, the ones who would, you know, really, they don't want to be helicopter parents. They don't want to be helicopter anything. They want a civilization that is not being lit on fire in front of them. And they are the ones who increasingly have got to get up all the time and go to these meetings. Stay informed. Take nothing about your way of life for granted. They are coming for every corner of it. So God bless you for doing this. Uh, the moms who just would really prefer to be waiting at home till their kids come home uh, and then go on with the rest of their life are the ones who have to step up and be front row warriors. And Aaron, it's important to turn the premise around. If, if mm-hmm. North Carolina comes to Albuquerque, New Mexico, it is the fault of those of you who changed what, what humanity understood was a 
was a prudent process and a practical application of security uh, for for millennia. You did this to yourselves by changing common sense. Right, and it might actually be a little bit uh, better if North Carolina came to New Mexico, since New Mexico actually ranks 49th in the United States in, in terms of uh, educational um, uh, success or however they uh, the measure that. Only, uh, only uh, ahead of Mississippi. So it might be a little bit better if, if a little bit more of North Carolina came Yikes. to New, New Mexico. That's some quality concern trolling right there, Aaron. Exactly. Well done. Yes, exactly. But this is this goes again. The, the norm is what you make it, especially in your local communities. Mm-hmm. I've spent a little bit of time in northwest Iowa, actually, for um, a, a few different reasons over the last uh, couple of months. And I've noticed that the communities up there are very, very tied to the church. And it is the, the norm up there to uh, have uh, prayers and have uh, things in schools and in the communities that are very, very much tied to the church. Because that is that is the norm and that is what the tradition is in that part of uh, the state that our show happens to originate from. So when you get involved at the local ne- level... Be sure to remember that this uh, the, the norm is whatever you make it to be. And if uh, the norm is something like uh, bathroom g- transgender bathroom pro- policies, do something to fix it and to change it. Uh, hats off to uh, hats off to Kayla. Well said. We'll come back wrap up tonight's show here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. So what's yours? Resurrection. He's bringing back the American way. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up on a Tuesday night here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. So let's find out, as we like to at the end of each show, what we've learned here this evening. Todd, I'll begin with you. What did you learn, sir? Well, the fact that uh, federal overreach is such that it, it just comes down to every corner and crevice of our life means that it's a battle we must fight. And that's why this is going on uh, in New Mexico. But e- even when uh, there isn't federal overreach, locally speaking, if the default of your leaders, and this happens all the time in school boards, it, is to not even hear you out. It's to say they've and I've seen it with my own eyes. They have it totally psychologically uh, reversed. And I've seen teachers say things like, you know, I know we want parent involvement, but really not that much. And I'm pretty sure that that's an exact quote from a a meeting I used to school board. I used to cover um, here in Iowa. That cannot stand. As you said, it is yours. Never, ever, ever allow them to push you around like that on any issue clearly let alone bathroom issues but and anyone if there's like no we're not going to have a talk about this it's been ruled and we did it behind closed doors oh hell no well said aaron this um this country is worth fighting for especially when you have and that's that's i mean that's not something new but especially when you see people 
uh, like Kayla that we just talked to, uh, with so much conviction that they are willing to fight for it. That means that the soul of this country, what it means to be an American, has not yet been lost. And that alone should embolden every one of our listeners, that if they see something amiss in their communities, if they see something that they think that is not right, what can I do about it? That's that's what we should all be asking ourselves. These types of stories should embolden you. Don't make excuses. Go out there and do something. Uh, whatever that is, uh, you have a brain. You can figure it out. But there's also there's always something that you can do to fight our, your opponent, to fight evil, because that's what we're up against right now, especially when it comes to the whole transgender and the LGBTQ, PQRS uh, issue. That's That's what we are up against right now. Do something about it. And their entire modus operandi is banking on the fact that you just can't put up with the amount of, of grief they can give you, the names they can call you, the angst they can pour upon you, that you just can't put up with it. You can't put up with it on your social media. You can't put up with it in your neighborhood. That's, that's the whole, that's their strategy. And I'm sad, and it's sad to say that what I've seen repeatedly is most of us can't. And it goes back to something I said earlier in this program. You don't lose your country because you have a, a, a large portion of your populace that has fallen prey to an aberrant ideology. You lose your country because the people who haven't won't take a stand. John 3.17 Listening to Steve Dace. 